Hey everybody, this is Jeremiah Craig and welcome to another Boots and Ballads podcast. This is the podcast where sometimes we talk cowboy boots, sometimes I share my music, and sometimes we talk about a whole bunch of other different kinds of things, whether it be business, marketing, or whatever is on my mind. But today, we are talking cowboy boots with one of the legends in the industry. That's right, we're talking with Lisa Sorrell of Sorrell Custom Boots. And among the conversation topics that we cover today, we talk about her thought process in sharing her work on YouTube, making cowboy boots for Arnold Schwarzenegger, and so much more. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Lisa Sorrell. Jeremiah Craig coming at you for another session of Ask the Bootmaker. I am so excited about this one today. We have the legend, Lisa Sorrell, today. And, oh man, I am so excited. Uh, here is Lisa now. We just gotta get her in here. And here we go. Hi, Lisa, how's it going? It's going okay, I think we did it. Yes, totally. <laughs> great, uh, it's so great to be speaking with you and to talk with you. Uh, I'm kind of starstruck right now, so <laughs> you'll have to excuse me. <laughs> this is a this is really a fun experience uh, for me. I have noticed your work in so many books about cowboy boots. So uh, to be chatting with you on a Ask the Bootmaker is is incredible. Thank you for taking this time. You're welcome. I want to kick things off with a question from Carol, Forever Forever Country, who just joined here. Um, she asks, how long have you been making boots and how did you get into it? I've been making boots for 30 years now. I like to tell everyone I started when I was four. It's not Wow. Good. That's what I like to tell everyone. <laughs> What's the story behind that? <laughs> I just, that's how I like people to figure my age. I got you. <laughs> it, it's totally a lie. Sorry. And the way I got into it, I answered an ad in the paper for stitching boot tops. I had no idea what that meant. And I had never worn a pair of cowboy boots. But my mom had started teaching me to sew clothing when I was 12. And by the time I was 15, I was sewing clothing professionally. And so stitching cowboy boots sounded like sewing. And I answered this ad and became a bootmaker. Wow. That's really cool. Uh, do you find that your strength still lies in top stick stitching since that's where you started out or do you feel like uh, you are a master of other aspects of boot making now? Uh, that's, that's a good question. Um, I'm definitely known best for my skills with inlay and overlay and top stitching, but it's not really what I enjoy most. I enjoy construction the most. I always wanted to do something more physical and more craft and didn't know how to, to get into it and boot making satisfied that. When you started boot making, uh, was your uh, inspiration the person who you first started working for um, or did that sort of change over time as you uh, worked for different people? I started out working with an old man named Jay Griffith. And so you have to understand with that job, 
I simply applied for a job and I got that job. So he teach he taught me what I needed to do in order to do that job, which was top stitching. He didn't teach me to be a bootmaker because you don't pay people to learn. And um, yes, Jay has always been my inspiration. He had such a delicate touch with leather inlay and overlay and design. People often say to me, you're good with color and design because you're a woman. And I tell them everything I know, I learned from a grouchy old alcoholic. <laughs> Love it. He, he just was so talented with design. He would always tell me a cowboy boot should have graceful lines. It should have flowing lines. A cowboy boot itself should look like a Coke bottle or a beautiful woman. And then he would make this hourglass shape. And he taught me to appreciate those lines and how they flow together. Interesting. That is great. I love it. Um, since you brought up the uh, woman topic, because, you know, maybe some stereotypes in there, I, I got a question that I wasn't going to ask until later, but I feel like is a good transition right now. It came from Little Bree. Uh, on Instagram um, and from talking with some of your colleagues uh, what is it like being a female bootmaker is it any different um, harder better same like what are your perspectives on that well it's it's obviously harder to be a smaller weaker bootmaker whether you're male or female and I did have to gain a lot of muscle tone when I first started out Let's see, there was a lady named Dina McGuffin, who's in Albuquerque, and there's a lady named Melody Dawkins, who's now in Montana. And then I was one of, I think there might have been a couple others, but I was probably fifth, at least, of the female bootmakers. So in the beginning, it was unusual. It wasn't really respected, like women can't do this. And, uh, it was a little tough occasionally in the beginning to be a woman bootmaker, but I think over time I proved myself with my bootmaking and my charming personality and eventually <laughs> now people like me or don't like me based on who I am more than the fact that I'm a woman bootmaker. How could anybody not like you? <laughs> I'm kind of I mean, obnoxious sometimes and opinionated. That's cool. I mean, you gotta be, especially when you have a YouTube channel. I mean, you're not only a bootmaker, you also are uh, a, a YouTuber and you've been doing it since like the early days. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Because I love watching your videos. Thank you. Yeah, that, that came about because I was thinking about YouTube and I realized that if you are a chef or a photographer or an artist or a singer or whatever, then there's a million other of you on YouTube. But I looked at YouTube and I realized, you know what? I could be YouTube famous because there really aren't any bootmakers taking advantage of this format. And that's one of the reasons that I started my YouTube channel is just to, to go, start putting things out there. Because there's, there's not much, this is a really difficult craft to learn. Uh, it's not intuitive. It, you need a hands-on teacher. I'm not going to say that you can learn it through YouTube, but people do attempt it. And, and I wanted to put information out there. Do you find that it helps boot makers or pursuing uh, those who are pursuing boot making? Or do you find that it puts you more in touch with your customers? Because I feel like it could go either way. Like people can see how you make boots and then want your boots because they know how they're made. 
or uh, they are learning from you. Do you have any insights on that? My, my target market was people who were learning. And it wasn't really, I didn't design it to teach people how to make boots because that's not really possible in five or 10 minutes. My target market in my head was the person who's building boots, but they have things they want to do better or they understand there's a different way and they want to learn what that is to help people refine what they're already doing is what I was trying to do. Do you find that some people come through and become customers because of your videos? I don't think so. I've never had anyone say to me, I found, I found you on YouTube. I've had people find me on social media, but never specifically YouTube. Interesting. Maybe they just don't have the attention span to see how it's made. I don't, I don't know. Well, if anybody is watching who hasn't seen Lisa's YouTube, you got, you got to subscribe and watch those videos. This is, I like, I like your style. Thank you. The one I like, I did a series. I think, I think it took me four, I think it took me four um, weeks or months, however long I was spacing them at that time. And it, I called it speed boot making. And I filmed the entire process of building a pair of boots from the beginning to the end and then speeded it up and compressed it. And I thought I would be able to do it in one YouTube video. And my YouTube videos were anywhere from 10 to 12 minutes. And I had to take four of them for the whole process. Wow. But it's not only that, like it's not just uh, like a boring tutorial the whole time, but you also include like vlogs and lifestyle things too, like traveling with boots and things like that. Yeah, I had fun with that for a while. I haven't been doing one for several months because it takes a lot of time and I'm the only one in my shop now. And it's just, I don't feel like I can be that entertaining all by myself. And I had also kind of reached the limit of what I can tell you in three to four minutes. So I've, I've let that drop for the moment. My next project, what I want to do, I have an eight DVD box set. That's my entire how to make cowboy boots on video. So this is for real how to make cowboy boots. And what I'd like to do is put that into chapters and put it on Vimeo and let people rent it instead of buying the whole set, which cost $850. I would like to have people be able to rent certain chapters. And that way, if you know everything, but you just want to learn this one little thing, you can get that chapter. I like that. Very cool. Because that, that's one thing that I was curious about with your YouTube channel. Do you ever feel like you're sharing too much or that maybe some bigger brands or, or large manufacturers take your techniques or your uh, stitch patterns or inlays? Or, or Are you ever concerned about that? No, not really. I, I am very annoyed when a boot company steals my designs because that's just unnecessary. You know, if, if, if you want me to be your designer, then pay me. But other than that, no, I don't worry at all about sharing techniques because here's the way I feel about it. I've been doing this for 30 years and I'm still learning. I still have so much to learn. I am where I am because I've been doing it for 30 years. What that means is I can tell you everything I know and you're still 30 years behind. Even if you're twice as good as I am, you're still 15 years behind. It doesn't hurt me at all to tell you everything that I know. That's a great perspective and it, it actually runs into a question that I got from Woody Woolruff on Instagram. 
and he asks, uh, do you feel like you're a master of your craft or you still have room to grow? And where is that room to grow? I have so much room to grow. For me with boot making, one of the reasons I love it is because I, will, I know I'll never get bored. Every time I think I have something mastered, then I turn around and, and something else needs to be improved upon. And I really enjoy that aspect of it. I'm always learning, always getting better. And my eye is always getting better. So I can do something now that 10 years ago I would have thought was absolute perfection. But now I can see the imperfections in it because my eye is better. And that continues to infinity. Yes, I feel the same thing with music. Uh, but I also feel like those imperfections tell the story of where you were at at that time, too. Um, because I might look back and be like, ooh, I didn't really like the way I recorded it. But then I also remember exactly where I was and exactly what I was doing at that point in time in my life, too. So I try not to judge myself too hard on that. Do you find like... No? I'm not like, good at that. No? I'm not, <laughs> not judging myself. <laughs> it's tough. It really is. <laughs> so... Um, speaking of music, since I brought that up, you name, or at least from what I saw, you name all of your boots after bluegrass and country songs. Is this correct? Yes, that is correct. Is that what you listen to, like when you're just making a pair of boots in the shop? Absolutely. Yes, I'm a huge... It took me longer to get into bluegrass, but I have loved classic country music since I was a child. It, that just resonated with me. And one day, I don't remember when, I just had this brilliant idea that I would start naming my boots after, after song titles. And I love doing it because it's a way for me to think about how does this design or this pair of boots or this customer sometimes, how does it make me feel and what song makes me feel that way? And it's fun. Yeah, that is such a cool thing. When I heard that you did that, the first thing that came to my mind, and I'm so glad I get to ask you this question now, is there a song title that is your favorite song that you are saving for the perfect pair of boots? I wouldn't, I'm not sure about that, but just recently, I'm a huge Leuven Brothers fan. I've loved the Leuven Brothers forever. I was raised on their gospel albums when I was a kid, and I didn't even know they did secular music until I was in my 20s. But anyway, I love the Leuven Brothers. And just recently, I heard someone perform a song that Charlie Leuven did with Melvin Montgomery, and it's called New Dreams and Sunshine. And I had never heard it. And as soon as I heard the title, I went, that's got to be a pair of boots. And then I heard the song. And it actually, I collect songs and song titles that have the word bluebird in them because I love bluebirds and I like putting birds on cowboy boots and it actually has the word bluebird in it. And so that's, that particular song has just excited me recently and I can't wait to make that boot, but I don't have that design decided yet. So it's still in your working inspiration for it right now. Yeah. I'm still trying to match a boot with that title, new dreams and sunshine. And then, for myself, anytime I make myself a pair of boots, I like to name them after songs about working too hard and not making enough money. <laughs> so <laughs> Tell me about it. Yeah, I've promised myself that someday I will have a pair of boots called Bony Fingers. <laughs> I want to see what that looks like. <laughs> I know. I love it. That is such a good, such a good uh, answer. <laughs> um, so...
I want to jump around here because you answered one of my own other questions with that, with uh, inspiration and artistry, uh, where you get your inspiration from. Um, I want to jump to another question that we got from Little Bree uh, because Arnold Schwarzenegger just went viral with his cowboy boot collection. And a lot of people, I guess, didn't know that he collected cowboy boots. Um, and I guess people don't know that you actually made him a pair or several pairs or... I made, I made him a pair. If you watch that video, um, I think they were on the back left and they have a, an American flag. And then somewhere on his Instagram, I saw a picture of him. He's smoking a cigar and he's holding a pair of boots and his little dog is sitting inside the boots looking at him. And that's, those are my boots with the American flag on them. They're beautiful. What was it like making a pair of boots for Arnold Schwarzenegger? You know, he was, he was very kind to work with. He was charming and kind. And um, one of the things that just really won my heart is after he got the pair of boots, he sent me pictures of himself wearing them. And I love that from any customer, but people rarely ever do it. And for him to take the time to do it was very meaningful to me. What was the process, if you don't mind sharing, of working with him to get those boots made? Uh, was there like a lot of freedom that he gave you to make them or did he have an idea in mind? How did that work out? I had actually already made that pair of boots for another client and he had seen the boots in my portfolio somewhere. He had evidently followed me on social media enough to have seen those boots. And so he said, I want a pair exactly like those boots. So there wasn't really a lot of design to do with the, with the boots. How, how do you think some of these uh, big names like Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'm sure you've worked with other celebrities as well. How, how do they find you? Is it that they are just really big cowboy boot fans and uh, you are one of the big names in the industry or is it through other means? I would assume it's through social media. Arnold's really the only famous person that I've worked for because I don't, I don't donate to famous people and wealthy people. I, it's not that I don't enjoy donating because I do sometimes but I'm not going to do it to someone who can afford to buy a pair of boots. Oh yeah. And there's also the fact that um, with a celebrity or a famous person, then they'll, they'll tell me, you should give me boots. I mean, Mr. Schwarzenegger did not do that, but I have had other people contact me and they say, you should give me boots because I'll advertise for you. Well, here's the thing. If you go around saying, she made me boots for free, then that doesn't help me at all. And if you understand the amount of work and labor that I put into these boots, you're not going to ask for them for free. And if you don't understand that, you're not going to represent me well. There's simply no way for me to win here. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. That's a good strategy. Uh, what is the favorite boot that you've ever made? Uh, Woody Woodruff asks. Well, until a few years ago, I would have told you that they're all my favorites and I can't choose one. And to a large degree, that's true. But a couple of years ago, there's a band out of North Carolina called the Malpas Brothers. 
and they sing classic country music and I met them and I said, I want to make boots for you guys. And Taylor, the younger brother said, can you make me a pair of Satan is Real from the Lubin Brothers iconic album, Satan is Real. So we actually copied that album cover on a pair of boots and those will always be my favorites. That's great. And you're making another pair I saw on your Instagram, right? For a raffle? Yes. I loved making those boots so much. I said, I want to make another pair. And I have a lot of musician friends who loved them because they also love the Lubin Brothers. And I thought it'd be cool if I could raffle these. And I created the boot tops and I made them extra big so that they can be trimmed to the size that I need. And went through all this work and then decided to start a raffle. And that's when I realized that private individuals cannot by law do raffles. So I can't do a raffle. And that was really important to me. I could auction them, but then they would go to the highest bidder. And I don't want these to go to the richest person. I'm hoping they go to the person who loves the Leuven Brothers as much as I do. I really have my heart set on them being raffled and people having a roughly equal chance of winning them. So what I did is I contacted IBMA, the International Bluegrass Music Association, and they have a fund that supports musicians when they fall into hard times. And later when all of this virus thing is over and things we hope go back to normal, then IBMA is going to raffle the boots for me and all of the proceeds will go into that fund. That's great. I love that workaround, especially since it will benefit uh, a great organization. Um, I definitely got to keep track of that because that is something that I'm, I'm going to want to help promote as well. That is. It's kind of on hold right now, but no doubt. I mean, I have the boot tops ready to go and we're just waiting to, um, for things to get back on track so we can do the raffle. Hopefully it's soon for everybody's sake. Now for just these boots. <laughs> yeah. How, how has this, uh, pandemic affected you? It hasn't really affected me at all. I own my building and I work alone. I don't have any employees, so I can leave the front door locked. And I don't make so many boots anymore because my hands are, are aging, unfortunately. And I just don't feel like I have too many more boots left in me. That's sometimes people have noticed my prices. That's the main reason for my prices is I, it's an alternate way of saying no, I'm slowing down to raise my prices really a lot. Mm -hmm. But a few years ago, I started a business where I sell leather and tools and supplies and lasts. And my shop has become, the front of it is now a warehouse and I'm shipping out boxes every day. I love this business because it lets me participate and encourage and support this industry in a different way. And it also keeps me very, very busy. So much of my time is spent running that business and I can just pack boxes and put them at the front door and they go out. I don't have to see people for that because the orders come in online. And then I'm also, I'm working on boots right now, but just not that many. Do you plan on uh, taking on an apprentice or teaching somebody to carry out carry on your traditions? I do occasionally teach and I occasionally take apprentices, but what I do is I require that they have some prior experience. 
because with a brand new student, they need constant supervision and they have constant questions, which is okay, but I, I don't have the time to handle that. And um, my last student was a lady named Flora. I think her Instagram is at Flora Knight and um, she's from New Zealand. And she came over and spent four months with me and uh, she's back in New Zealand now, but I think she's coming back. So sometimes I'll, I'll do something like that occasionally where someone has some experience and they can work alone and unsupervised. They can come in my shop, but, and they can ask me questions anytime, but sometimes I won't be available. I'm sorry to hear that you're not making as many boots, um, but you know, if it's painful, then I'm glad that you're taking on less for sure. I've, I've just kind of moved into, you know, I did this for, I did it full time for probably 25 years and it's physically difficult. It's demanding. It's nerve wracking because I can make something wonderfully beautiful and then it doesn't fit or you don't think it fits or it doesn't fit the way you wanted it to fit. So there it's hard. And after 25 years, I looked down and I realized it was becoming a job. And I'm sure you understand as an artist that when something like this becomes a job, it shows. And I felt that it was showing. I was losing my joy. I'd, ha I'd experienced some personal tragedies as well. And I looked around one day and realized I was losing my joy. And that's when I made the decision to start making the boots I wanted to make for the people I wanted to make them for. I don't intend to give up boot making, but I had to step back from doing it as fast as I could to pay the bills. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, I mean, with somebody like uh, with with a stature like yours, I mean, you can do that. Uh, I had a question come through from uh, where is it here? Sorry, we're bouncing around a little bit. Uh, Barry on Instagram. Uh, speaking of the prices, does does how does someone who has never tried custom boots appreciate the difference enough to make the investment? I would say, I would say work your way up. I, I'm not, I'm not the starting point for most people, but if you reach a point where factory boots off the shelf aren't fitting you well, or you're not getting the options that you want, then find a boot maker at a price point you can afford and try it out and experience, I mean, the fit is really the most amazing thing. It's gonna fit so well. And then the option to choose your colors and your design. And maybe you'll stick with that boot maker forever and maybe you'll continue to look around at boot makers, but you know, dip your toes in the water in a way that you can afford and see what appeals to you and how much it appeals to you and then then just keep going if that's what you love i love it that is that's that's a great answer is just to like work and sort of um play around with different styles and different personalities and different people you know working with a bootmaker is a relationship you need to find the bootmaker that clicks with you i've had customers that you know, they say words at me and I say words at them, but we never quite communicate. And then I've had other customers that we just click immediately. It is like a relationship. And another thing that I will say is now that I've, I've raised my prices so much, I'm obviously not the bootmaker for everyone. 
and that's okay because I can only make so many boots. But one thing that I do often is I play matchmaker. I love recommending other bootmakers. Sometimes I get emails or phone calls and I'll tell, I'll ask people, where do you live? What are you looking for? And then I'll try to match them up with another good bootmaker. That's really cool. Just because you can figure out the pe personalities and things like that. I try. It sounds like an app. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a bootmaking matchmaker. <laughs> you, you should make an app. <laughs> I should. That sounds great. <laughs> um, I love it. <laughs> so I got a couple of quick um, non-serious questions, just sort of, um, I guess, rapid fire round. Carol uh, Forever Country on Instagram asks, what are some of your favorite leathers to work with? Kangaroo and American alligator. Why is that? Kangaroo is thin but it's and soft, but it's also strong. It makes wonderful inlay because I'm, I'm known for my intricate inlay and overlay patterns. And if you do that with very heavy leather, then they get heavy. The boot tops will get heavy because you're working with lots of layers. So kangaroo is absolutely the best for doing any sort of intricate boot tops. And then I love American alligator because it's beautiful and it's lovely to work with. And it's just the best for a, the foot leather. Totally. And that's what the, uh, the boots that you made for Arnold Schwarzenegger, correct? They were American alligator. They were. And if you look, if you ever see those boots up close, you will notice that the tiles, the scales are really big. He specifically said, I want big scales. And so those are cut out of the tail where the scales are really big. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Now, when you get these, um, when you get leather, do you get the whole alligator when you do that and then you decide where to cut it out from there? Yes, yes, it's a whole alligator. It looks like a, a smash flat alligator. So when you, when you do that, um, I know sometimes it might be difficult to try to match up the tiles in a, a certain way. Do you ever have to get two uh, alligator skins and then cut out from two different ones to match them? That's an excellent question. It depends on the size of the skin. I personally prefer a larger skin that's big enough to cut two foot leathers side by side. But if you have smaller skins, then you have to have two match skins and then you get one foot out of one and one foot out of the other. Is it tough to get that from your supplier or are they pretty good about knowing what you need? They're pretty good. I have some great suppliers and, and they'll choose the leathers that I need. Interesting. That's, that's great. Thank you for answering that. that. I just went down a little curiosity path there. <laughs> how, how long does it take you uh, to make a pair of boots on average? Now, I know that sometimes they can get really complex, and I know that sometimes it's simpler, but you know, what's the average time? Well, back when I was making boots full-time, I allowed a month. And there's a lot of wet-dry time, an average pair of boots is going to be around 40 working hours. Obviously, that'll go up if it's very intricate, but let's say 40 working hours. But there's a lot of wet-dry time, and so it's much more efficient, efficient to have two or three pairs going at once, and then you kind of leapfrog over. While one is wet and drying, you do the next one, and at the end of the month, you have three pairs that are finished. And that's how I would work, and I could make two or three pairs of boots a month pretty easily. But now that I'm running a supply business and a website, for instance, I spent 
all this morning. I, I'm working on a pair of boots. I'm building the heels. They're almost done. I could have finished them today, except I had this morning I had a huge shipment from Italy that I had to unbox and check in and put away. And then I spent all this afternoon until now entering that order into the computer. Gotcha. So that's my glamorous bootmaker life now. <laughs> so you're kind of uh, going, putting yourself into these different roles now. Yeah. So I, I don't get to come into the shop and work eight or 10 hours on boots every single day. Some, some days I come in intending to be back in the studio working on boots and then the phone rings and the website goes down and there goes my day. What part do you like the best now? My favorite thing to do is when you're creating really intricate inlay and overlay. So with leather, for instance, if you've seen marquetry in wood, then the pieces are just butted together. And if you've seen applique in fabric, then fabric frays at the edges. So every piece has to be like sewn down at the edge so it doesn't fray. Well, the thing with leather is it's th it has a thickness and it has to be skived or thinned at an angle along the edge so you don't have bumps and ridges. And my favorite thing to do with an intricate top is set and skive because for some designs, I might have 20 hours of skiving in it and I can just totally relax. It's quiet. I can have the radio on. I can sing. Skiving is my favorite thing to do. But then after I finish skiving it and putting it together, I have to sew it. And I don't enjoy sewing as much anymore. <laughs> <I just laughs> do it. When, when it matches up perfect, is that like a spiritual experience when it's just like, yeah, I spent like 20 hours doing this and it just is perfect. Yes, yes. There always is that moment where you're like, hey, I'm pretty good. <laughs> I love those moments. Followed by the moment like, Lisa, why? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It's always a give and take for sure. Yes. <laughs> um, I think that's all I got here. Uh, thank you so much, Lisa, for taking this time and chatting with me today. Uh, this was a great, this was a great piece of content. Um, and I think it was, it brought a lot of value to me. I hope it brought a lot of value to everybody else who's watching this now and after the fact too. Um, it is incredible. Is there anything that uh, you want to tell folks or promote or anything that uh, you just want to put out there? Um, let's see. What I would like to do is tell people if you're looking for a good boot maker, um, there's a guy named Chase Mask in Amarillo. There's a good young boot maker named Jake Williamson in Reno, Nevada. And two of my favorite boot makers is Wes Shugart in Nashville and Dustin Law in Salado, Texas. So if you're looking for some boot makers, don't make the mistake of thinking I'm the only one or you can't find a good boot maker. There are all sorts of boot makers out there who have different styles and different opinions and different price points. So find yourself a good boot maker. Love it. And you just expanded my list of people to do these live sessions with. Too. <laughs> I already talked with Dustin on Tuesday, but I haven't talked with the other three. So I'm definitely going to be reaching out to them after this. Great. Thank you so much, Lisa. And uh, I hope you have a spectacular day. You too. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for watching, everybody. 
All right, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Boots and Ballads podcast featuring Lisa Sorrell. I thought this was a great conversation. I had a blast. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, feel free to leave a message on my Google Voice number, 253-254-5898, and I might use those messages in future podcasts or videos. Uh, Don't forget that you can always Listen to my music at jeremiahcraig.com, and I will see you later. Have a great day, everybody.